and welcome to The Storied Human. This is Lynn Thompson, and I'd like to share with you a personal story about mental illness in my family. Um, I actually wrote a story about this for Medium, and I'm going to read the story as part of this episode. It's especially important to talk about mental illness because May is Mental Illness Month, but also because the more we remove the shadows, the more we come out and tell people, look, this happens to some of us, you know, and it's normal during your life for some people to have episodes and there's, there are treatments and there are, there's therapy and there is no reason to go through what my poor grandma and my mother went through because they just didn't have the options back then. And so I feel very motivated to share this information and the story from Medium is particularly personal, which I think really puts a face on it. The effects, even after my grandma died, the effects on my mom and just the effects that mental illness can have in, for generations in a family. Um, but it's not depressing. This is not a depressing episode. This is a real episode with lots of hope at the end and lots of references that I'm going to put in the show notes. I want to emphasize that I know tons of people, including myself, that live with some kind of mental illness and thrive. It is possible. It's not always easy. So my ultimate message to you is don't be afraid to confront it in yourself or others. And don't be afraid to get help because help is out there. It can turn your life around. It did for me. And I'll share a little bit about that after I read the story. Insane Night by Lynn Thompson. I heard my mother's voice downstairs in the living room, telling our neighbor about her own mother, my grandmother, Ethel. I couldn't sleep, and I ended up listening in. My mother was in a mental hospital. She had been there since my father died, my mother was saying. It was a shameful admission back then, and it still can be, to admit that your relative was insane. I heard the slight hesitation in her speech. My mother was on leave from the mental hospital and was visiting us for the afternoon, but she was agitated that day and came into the kitchen and demanded to know what I had done with my father, who had died the previous year, and told me that she knew I was putting poison in my food, in her food. I heard a small gasp from the neighbor. My mother continued. Before I could answer, my mother saw a sharp knife on the countertop and rushed to pick it up. She held it and pointed it at me. She was very close, and I was so afraid she might actually stab me. It was so hard. I hear what sounded like a soft cry. Somehow I talked her down, and she gave me the knife. I am wide awake now. I barely remembered my grandmother from seven years ago. I was four when she died, and I overheard this story when I was eleven. I do remember going with my father when he drove my mother to the large brick mental hospital in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where my grandmother spent her last years, and I remember waiting with him while my mother visited. The huge building sat on a grassy hill. This building would reappear in a poem I wrote seven years later, when the memory of the place possessed me, and I had to tell their story, my mother and her sister who were so young when their mother first went into the hospital. I would win an award in college for this work. It would make me feel guilty. I had dreams about finding jewelry in the dirt and dolls other had, 
others had left behind in old houses. I felt a little better when my mother showed the poem to her sister when my aunt was visiting from California. She asked my mother, how could she know? And I really don't know how I knew. I would love to be able to answer that. I mean, as an English major, I know that William Faulkner wrote a story about a couple generations from an event. These two cousins imagined what had happened years before and somehow got closer to the truth. And I think sometimes that happens. I can't explain it, but I had a really strong connection to my mother and I had a really strong feeling that nobody had ever told their story, the two young girls. And so that's what I did. But this night I shivered as I pictured my grandmother holding a knife on my mother. I felt terrified of my dead grandmother, and I imagined her lying beneath my bed, waiting there, holding a knife. I pictured her white hair. Her face was a mask. I could barely move. I breathed carefully. Finally, sleep did come. I tucked that story away and did not think of it for years. My mother tried to take her life not long after this. I didn't know it at the time. We were shielded from it, my brother and I. My father told us my mother was not feeling well and that we were going to visit his sister, my Aunt Ruth. We spent almost a week with her and my Uncle Dick. It was a lot of fun, for they doted on us, and it was a thrill. But we missed our mom. When we came back, it was back to normal, almost. My mother was very quiet and moved slowly. Perhaps they had put her on medication. I know they did not have the drug choices they have today. But maybe they gave her a sedative. Whatever it was, I think it helped her. She got through her dark night. She admitted it years and years later. My father mentioned it to me, too. No one knew how to handle such a thing back then. We all just soldiered on. As I look back on my life, I realized that I carried my mother's pain a lot. Maybe a lot of daughters do this. I was so close to her, and she was so loving and wonderful. But there was a sadness behind her blue eyes that I could feel sometimes. Her sister and she had been without their mother for six years during their childhood from when my mother was six until she was 12. She then lost both parents while still in her 20s, and so did my dad. Their marriage was not so good. I didn't know that either until later, but it was hard on them both. I see them now with older eyes and realize they were so young and without a lot of support. One December, I remember my mother sitting alone in the dark living room in front of a lit Christmas tree, just sitting quietly. I was about 12 years old. I asked if she was okay. And she said, sometimes at Christmas, she missed her parents. I remember thinking that was odd because she had us and she was a grown up. I had no clue. I think of that night often as I feel that touch of melancholy myself now at Christmas time. Now I miss her like she missed her mom. Christmas can be difficult. It was especially so right after we lost her. When I think of her and her complicated life, I realize that what people live with sometimes is insane. Literally. This story still horrifies me to think that my mother had to go through that. 
and that I un unfortunately heard it when I was so young. But what really surprised me is I hadn't thought of this. I had not thought of this story in like years and years and years. I guess it bubbled up and came back to me when I needed to look at it. And I just think it's a really good explanation of how things persist. You know, long after the person with the mental illness dies, you're left with these effects. And my mother, I believe, was deeply depressed and didn't have therapy and didn't have support and had two young children and had been sort of plucked from this life that she really enjoyed in Virginia and had to start all over in New Jersey. And I think if she had had help, she could have coped because somehow she held it together anyway. And I know later in her life, she had therapy and it super helped her, which it can do. And the main message of today is therapy can really help you. It's just amazing what the right therapist can do for you. Someone who's objective, someone who listens. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to shop for that someone. It might not be the first person you try, but it's really important to find that someone. I myself had to go through a couple. I, I had one therapist who was just horrible. And the second one, um, several years ago for when I was going through something, she was amazing. And she, I didn't need a lot of, this is the thing that people don't understand. You don't even maybe need a lot of sessions. I think I was allowed to have eight with my um, insurance. And I'm telling you, eight did it. That was two months. This woman was very kind, very calm, just what I needed. She just really let me talk and put my thoughts together and help me see things with her questions. There's a wonderful way that therapists ask you questions that get you to focus on what you need to focus on. So my main message today is get someone help if you're worried about them and get yourself help if you're worried about yourself. I did want to talk a little bit about depression versus sadness because they're different. And the main difference, and I will put the references in the show notes, but the main difference between sadness and depression is that sadness is doesn't last that long and can easily be, can easily turn around. Like you can be sad for a little while and then it passes and it turns around. Something makes you feel better. But depression persists. And per depression is not necessarily sadness. If I say one thing today about depression, this is what I want to say. I think some people think you can snap out of it if you tried harder and that you're just deeply sad or something. But for, for a lot of people, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but for a lot of people, depression is feeling nothing, which is so upsetting, especially feeling nothing for activities you used to love. I think that's the cruelest part cruelest part of depression. I felt very numb when I first got depressed. And I wanted to um, read you another short medium story about that. How, how do you know you have it? And how I first found I had it and how I do feel that that depression is um, a gift from my grandma. Like it's not her fault, but you know, her brain chemistry, I got the depression and it's something to look out for if you know someone in your family has something and it might help prepare you. So the story in medium is coming up. So the second story I wrote for medium was about my own depression and how I figured out I had it. And the title is mild depression is like a little hobgoblin making everything harder. 
I didn't even know I was depressed in the clinical sense until my mom identified it in a phone conversation I had with her when I was about 28 years old. She had training as a counselor and recognized it. I had just said to her, I think I want to move back home. She knew mentally healthy me would not say that. I had a good job and my own apartment, but I was lost and sinking deeper. It can be hard to identify depression when you are inside of it. It can sneak up on you and you don't notice your behavior has changed. My mother got through to me. I needed help. I found a wonderful psychiatrist who was Jewish. He was like my Jewish uncle, kind, on my side. My parents were going through a very rough beginning of a divorce, and I was worried about them. I even suggested that I should move in with my dad because he wasn't handling things well at all. Alcoholic and depressed, too. My psychiatrist said, don't you dare, and I got the message. Codependent much? I am glad I got treatment. The psychiatrist put me on a drug, too, and I fought him over it until he explained exactly how it worked. Norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, so it just kept my own neurotransmitter I needed to function better out in the playing field of my brain where I needed it. I had never been on any meds for mental health before and didn't want to be on this one forever. He explained that I had atypical depression and I'm going to add a link to the show notes about it. It's a very specific kind of depression. It usually corrects itself in about 6 to 18 months. But without meds, I could have made some bad decisions in that time, like quitting my job and moving back home. After it ran its course, he said I would know when it was time to come off the meds. It took about a year, but I did know. I just became sort of irritated with everything and restless. It was time. I guess my depression did last 18 months because I had been feeling pretty bad for six months before I saw him. Depression for me was a surprise. I had thought that it was intense sadness, but it was more like intense numbness, a disinterest in things that used to make me happy. It felt like a little hobgoblin was jumping around inside my body, pulling strings and turning knobs to lower my ability to function. Oh, and he was laughing while he did it. Sorry, writer's imagination. It felt heavy. I felt like I had retreated into a shell, and from within it, I watched the world move on without me. I remember standing outside on a crisp autumn day and thinking, I used to love these kinds of days. I felt nothing, just numb. Looking back, I could have used some meds in college. I did see a therapist here and there, and it did help, but I realize now I did everything everyone else did, but I dragged this heavy weight behind me. Depression comes in many forms. I am not talking about the crippling depression that can accompany the mania that bipolar disease can produce. That is horrendous and a whole other ball game. I also think people think of the word mental illness, the words mental illness, and think that it's like a separate serious thing that never touched them. Yes, there are serious lifelong mental health issues that affect people, like schizophrenia and others. But honestly, I see signs of undiagnosed mild anxiety and depression everywhere. It is often behind addictions like drinking, gambling, gaming, porn, sex, and other drugs. 
People are driven towards something to lift them up out of their pit. For a short time, this self-medicating works, but then it turns on them and actually makes them feel worse and more numb. Atypical depression is usually milder and comes and goes, but it can be more serious. Definitely see a doctor if you have symptoms and don't wait. There is no reason to drag that heavy weight around when help is available. I'm going to put some information from the Mayo Clinic in the show notes so that you can read more about it if you need to. I am much older now than when I had that first bout of diagnosed depression. I developed coping mechanisms and rules to follow to help me stave it off. I never stayed home more than two to three days. I made myself get out. I lived alone and this was really important. I made sure I exercised and got sunshine. I tried not to drink too much and ate well. I mean, sometimes, you know, when you're young, I did drink too much and it always made everything worse. But I tried to get enough sleep at the usual, you know, all the usual stuff you would probably do to be healthy. I found that I could handle like one bad thing happening or even two if it was not severe. But if three bad events coincided, I began to feel my brain bringing things down physically in my body. I explained to someone it felt like treading water, knowing the depression layer is down in the depths. If things load up and it made me stop treading, I could sink and get caught in that depressive layer. I went back onto meds about six months after my mother died. It was a sudden death and a shock. I was 43 with young kids, and my mother and I were very close. Being the overachiever that I am sometimes, I didn't just have grief. I apparently had complicated grief, which is depression and grief mixed together. At its worst, I remember saying I didn't know you could be that sad and live. I found a kind and supportive therapist who helped me just live in my feelings, knowing they would not last forever. It did help me, and as a result, help my kids. I no longer broke the hug with my kids. I let them end it. I no longer encouraged them to do something right away to stop crying or feeling their feelings. I sat with them and let them feel it. I didn't rush to solve it. My drug of choice now is Wellbutrin. It is my miracle because it works so well. It makes sense because it is also used as a smoke-ending medication. And I used to self-medicate with cigarettes. A lot of people do. Nicotine lifts you out of a mild depression. Smoking boosts your dopamine, another neurotransmitter like norepinephrine and serotonin. Like Wellbutrin does. It is subtle. It's not like you are suddenly really happy or anything. It's just that you might look back on the week and realize you did pretty okay. You functioned well. That is a gift. I noticed this recently. We had a big fancy wedding to attend, and I was a little worried about finding a dress. I'm a plus size. Getting shoes. I have lymphedema, a swelling in one leg, and need wider shoes, the right jewelry, hose, hair stuff, makeup, etc. In the past, I would leave this to the last minute and then panic and feel like a failure. This time, it was sort of effortless. I realized why. My friend Wellbutrin was helping my brain work better. My only fail were the magnetic fake eyelashes I foolishly attempted to apply in the hotel room right before we were going to leave for the wedding. Oh well, it was kind of a mess. The tacky black eyeliner got all over my eye area. But I cleaned myself up and moved on. I switched to mascara and had a great night. Small differences, small victories. And the hobgoblin? Shh, he is fast asleep. 
Okay, so I had like a, a comical way of looking at this, but I hope you understand not everyone needs medication, but for me, off and on in my life, not all the time and not for a long time, I need it. And facing that and understanding that has really helped me cope. And I can judge myself now. I can tell when I'm starting to slip. And that, you know, this this past time, it was too many things at once that were affecting me. And I took myself to the doctor and I said, you know what? I think I'm starting to get depressed. So how different is that from the years ago? Like from those years ago when I didn't really have a clue. It's so nice now to be able to take a look at myself and say, am I functioning okay? Am I feeling okay? Am I enjoying the stuff I'm, I usually enjoy? Like I can really manage it now. That's my message that I want to get out to you. No matter how bad something is, you can get help now. There's so many more. Oh my gosh. When I think of the options my poor grandma had, it was just like one or two drugs and that was it. And my mother too. Like they're, I mean, I, I write about it in another piece. Like everybody just kind of waited until you had like a nervous breakdown, quote unquote, and the doctor would give you Valium. I mean, there was no comprehension of these kinds of diseases. And now we know it's brain chemistry and it's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. I know people struggle. They can't get the right medications, but there is stuff that helps a lot of people out there. So if you know someone who's struggling and you're close enough to suggest therapy, go ahead and do it or just be their friend. A lot of people don't want to go to therapy. That's okay. There's all kinds of support groups. Like you might just want to go to a casual group or you can just hang out with your friends. If you trust them, you can talk to them. If you go to church, you can talk to your minister. There's all kinds of options, but the really important point is to not let it go. Don't soldier on. Don't isolate yourself. I did that. It makes it a million times worse. So what do I wish for you? I wish wonderful mental health. And I wish that you find your answers if you need them or help someone you love and that we, we remember to support each other and that not everyone, but a significant amount of people go through something sometime in their life. And it's not a mystery and it's not a shameful thing. It's just brain chemistry. So I wish you well, and please check out the references if you need them in the show notes. And thanks for listening to the storied human. I really appreciate it.